For June 20th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 729. An archdemon is a demon that is doing yoga. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out together. Uh, every, every movie we see is an occasion to celebrate, but today is the biggest occasion to celebrate. It's my birthday! Woo-hoo! It's my special day! It's your special day! I, it's my special day! I can have anything I want. I am Matt Rather and I can have anything I want. And what I want more than anything else, is a story two-hander with my good friend and overthinking it, soul buddy, Pete Fenzel. Hey, how you doing, Pete? You know, Matt, whatever you want me to provide, I shall do on your special day, especially if it costs me nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm glad to be here. I'm super glad to be celebrating this with you. For sure, for sure. This is a day of many significances, but of all of them, I'm glad that your birthday is the one that rises uh, to the bubbling top during this particular hour that we shall spend together. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's nice. You know, it's nice. Uh, yeah, I know many, many things happened today, June 19th, 2022. Yeah. It was a day of, of uh, overdetermined celebrations and, <laughs> uh, and remembrances. Uh, the, the, the Pete, one, one like, uh, ah, bad, bad is probably too strong a word. One disappointing thing or one mm-hmm. thing where I was a little, uh, I, I was just, I thought we could have done better. And I mean, you and me could mm-hmm. have done better. Um, I, I realized today, my, for my birthday, my mother took me out to lunch, which was delightful. She took me and my fiance out to lunch. And, and while, uh, we were talking, you know, over our, uh, over our rosés, you know, <laughs> we, I, sorry, to brunch and, uh, over our rosés, she mentioned that she had seen, uh, with her girlfriends had seen the new Downton Abbey movie. Wait. Already, it's out already, and I this that was my reaction. <laughs> what, what, what? There's a Downton Abbey movie, and uh, and apparently, Pete Downton Abbey, the new era or a new era. I, I'm mm-hmm. not sure what uh, Downton Abbey new era, Downton right. Abbey, the next generation right. is um, is here. You know, it is upon us and it's, <gasps> it's available on streaming and with, with even four hours more time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel like for you and me, it would have been, uh, you know, it, it would have been a no brainer that this, this would be the topic. Um, you know, but I, it, it, it fell at such a time that it just was, it just was by minutes, I think, yeah. impossible for us to, uh, to pull it out where we could both, where we could both, both watch the film. Um, literally by 20 minutes in my case, cause my son goes to bed at like 7 30 uh, and, and the podcast is at 9 15 and the movie is two hours and five minutes. Oh. So I looked it up and I was like, I can't quite can't do quite it. Squeeze it in. Yeah. I know. But, uh, I, I promise to all of our listeners who want our toasty takes. You oh, yes. Know, toastier, uh, toastier than a, a kettle on a hob in, in <laughs> Mrs. Patmore's kitchen. You know, toastier than, um, I don't know, toastier than, than the, the, uh, the Earl of Grantham, uh, you know, likes his toast in, in the morning. Um, to, toasted himself because an Englishman is never served at breakfast. Uh, yeah, the, we, we promise that we'll give those, we give those to you. We make this, we make this solemn vow and I made it on my birthday. So, you know, I'm, you know, I really mean it. 
You know, birth, promises you make on your birthday are bind in this life and the next. That's <laughs> right. It's, exactly. That's what, uh, yeah, I, I think that's in one of the gospels, right? What, what, yeah. what, what thou bindst on earth, you know, shall, <laughs> shall be bound it's in heaven. Or in Percy Jackson or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, the, uh, filmic masterpiece, Liar Liar, starring Jim Carrey when oh. the kid wishes on his birthday that his dad couldn't tell a lie for an wow. entire day. That's, that's right. That's that's the one. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so that's uh, that's it and you know my my birthday my aging I've attained the age of 42 Pete which is mm-hmm. a significant uh number to Douglas Adams fans. Yep. And the uh and I I am I was drawn I was looking I, because I I uh went to lunch with my mom I was in her house uh today I went to pick her up and she lives close to us which is a, has been a very nice uh very nice thing and um I, all my Elementary school, middle school, and high school yearbooks were there. She saves that, all that Ooh. stuff. And I was thinking back on, I was thinking back on, you know, those times. I paged through some of them and like, you know, Christina had never seen like pictures of me in, in my like baby glasses when I was nine years old and stuff like that. And like, you know, it was, it was cute and stuff like that. But I started to think about those, you know, those years, those like, uh, the years of like, uh, childhood and teenagehood and all that as I, as I was, uh, as I was getting older. And I thought, my God, what a, what a, a literal life and death struggle, you know. What a what a horror movie it was uh, to grow up. I don't know. I'm trying to gaslight the audience, Pete. I'm not doing a very <laughs> I'm not doing a very good job. I'm saying that the Netflix series Stranger Things is a documentary about what it was like to to grow up in the 80s, and and yeah. uh, it's a documentary. No, it's a. Uh, we were. I was. I was thinking. I was thinking about it, and then you said as we were brainstorming that that you had some thoughts about the recent. The recent Stranger Things season, which uh, which I believe you have completed, yeah? Yeah, here's the deal. Are we going to spoil it for people? No. I don't think so. This no. is a no-spoiler Stranger Things discussion. This isn't even going to be about Stranger Things, the show. This is going to be a Stranger Things-adjacent lore discussion. There will be no spoilers for any of the seasons of Stranger Things, except for some very light lore. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the different source materials that feed into Stranger Things, particularly with the monsters, and a couple of different thoughts about the 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 source material for the monsters of Stranger Things as it pertains to changes that might correspond with what took place to get it into the show, right? So uh, there's Stranger Things, you know, that's the show, and there's only one or two basic overarching world-building facts that will not spoil anything that I will introduce. And then I want to talk a little bit about the antecedent work that goes into the identities of the difference, particularly Dungeons and Dragons monsters, but also the wider resonance of those kinds of creatures in mythology and literature and pop culture uh, and and just some key questions about them that I thought you might be interested in. It's what I always wanted. 
I know. I know you didn't watch Stranger Things, so we have to we'll have to hold on discussing. You well, know, I, I didn't watch. Things. I didn't watch season four or season three. I watched and enjoyed seasons one or two, but it's. I mean, mm-hmm. do you have this thing where, like, just for no reason, you don't watch another? You know, you don't watch oh, yeah. a, a streaming series, and it's for not sure. like I. If I like examine my my own preferences, I would like to watch uh, the recent seasons of Stranger Things, but I just am not. I I just haven't. You know mm-hmm. uh, that it's. It, I believe that. That, uh, who, who said that? Is it was it Saint Augustine or the Apostle Paul? The the good thing that I desire, I do not do. The the bad thing, the thing I do not desire, that is what I do. What a wretched man I am! Who will save me from this body doomed to death? Uh, Obi Wan Kenobi now on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I haven't started that, and I listened to you guys' oh, yeah. podcast about it, and I really want to start it. I want to watch it. Yeah, I, that is a whole topic of itself, right? The now that it is no longer a special thing to have a what either binge worthy or weekly weekly released streaming show available to you that is exactly what you want yeah. <laughs> now that that's just a totally acceptable thing for a lot of people sort of a thing that just happens there's a lot of them that fall by the wayside i haven't finished peacemaker yet and i loved peacemaker the, right. first, the first few episodes of it that i watched and i did manage to finally finish yeah me too i love that and Mary. i love i loved it as well and i actually was yeah. kind of interested in the mystery a little bit after the first the first episode which is like in in those shows right where there's kind of like a shadowy conspiracy or a whatever you know that's going to be revealed over the course of uh over the course of many episodes very often i stick with the show because of the atmosphere of it mm-hmm. the t- the tone of the show uh but i but i like i'm not particularly interested in the mystery because it's not compelling or this you know this stakes are not compelling or, or whatever. One that I feel like, um, you know, one that I feel strongly, uh, like this about is what's it called? Blindside, blind spot, something like that. Oh yeah. Uh, blind spot featuring everyone's favorite absent Dungeons and Dragons player, Ashley Johnson. Right. Oh, uh, right. Yes. That, that, I, this is a crossover of two different shows that we both watch. <laughs> Do you yeah. know that whole story? Uh, she is absent from Dungeons and Dragons. I so do not she's know. one of the main players on the Dungeons and Dragons streaming show Critical Role, oh, which is it. also on Blind Spot. Yeah, and so she would have prolonged absences from the campaign that had to be explained with in-universe explanations. But everybody knew that it was Blind Spot, and so Blind Spot came up as a topic of conversation frequently. She had a yeah, I mean she she had a very elaborate makeup on that show. The the thing mm-hmm. of the show is like so, a, a woman with amnesia is discovered, her body <laughs> covered in tattoos. Who mm-hmm. will decipher? the tattoos and uncover the shadowy conspiracy where do her loyalties really lie something something fbi uh anyway um it's not the the the, frankly it's silly you know as you can you can get but like i don't know it has a tone it has a you know a certain amount of it has a certain amount of energy and i put it on in the background while i'm working don't don't tell my employer (laughs) this but there are just all kinds of light administrative tasks that go Mm -hmm. on that just benefit from some kind of noise uh, in the background. And I like, I, I got all the way through burn notice again. So I started in on, uh, I started in on this. Um, Christina calls them the pew pews because really in the, in the, like the last act of all of these TV shows, there's a lot of pew 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 pew. And so, you know, we watch the, the pew pews. I don't know if that's, we've talked about that before. Or oh, yeah, made yeah. It yep. into, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, oh, so that's in the lore. Well, you're usually negative about the pew pews. You usually don't like the pew pews, right? I don't like scary things. I don't like, uh, okay. that's, that's the one thing about, about, um, Stranger Things is that they're like, if I could dial down the jump scares and whatnot by like mm. 20%, you know, mm-hmm. to me, that would be, 
that would be all to the good. Um, I don't mind the atmosphere of tension. Uh, I know that like, uh, my friends who have become parents sort of uh, don't, don't love, uh, children in peril shows, mm-hmm. uh, anymore. Nope. Um, and I, but you know, Pete, that's how it happened. They have to tell the truth. You know, that's how yeah. that's. <laughs> It's a documentary. It's a realism people. question. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's artistic integrity more than yeah, anything yeah, yeah. else. You know, yeah, I, I I get that, but like I just where I'm at today, I don't uh, I don't mind that stuff so much. I just I I don't like the the scary things jumping out. I don't I don't yeah. appreciate that. I mean, just aesthetically, Stranger Things tends to have that kind of stuff that isn't necessarily psychologically scary, but is uh, visually gross yeah. or like nasty or, or like crunchy or like, you know, the music is re- gets really loud really suddenly. Yeah. And I find it difficult to calm down after it sometimes for sure. For yeah. sure. I've, I've been asking people what to watch after it to, you know, sort of sorbet it a little bit before bed. Uh-huh. Uh, the one that I've done so far that's been most effective might be Bob the Builder. Uh-huh. Uh, because we watch a lot of that anyway. And I was like, I'll just put on a little Bob the Builder. Did someone, did someone in the, the overthinking at Discord, listener Discord, say all creatures great and small? The, <laughs> Probably. The, what's that guy's name? James Harriet? Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who wrote those those about being a rural vet in England. Yeah, I, if <laughs> oh, memory wow. serves. Yeah, it's well, that's great. It's it's uh it's pretty good. The closest I've gotten to that is Rosemary and Time. I don't think I've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the what was the British cooking show? Two fat ladies. I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That where they ride a they ride a motorcycle and sidecar around. Uh, you know the- what? I saw that show and I was like, this is a lot like Rosemary and Time in terms of its vibe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, that would be good. I guess like anything, anything having to do with the provision of care, like mm-hmm. cooking or, you know, maybe decorate like a decorating show, if you like, yep, if yep. you like those or I whatever. like Celebrity IOU, which is like the Property Brothers help fans, famous people renovate houses for their relatives and or assistants or teachers. It's pretty nice. I like that show. <laughs> that chills me out. Okay. So yeah, so there I mean there you go. You also could could listen to you could listen to something. You should listen oh, yeah. to a, listen to a meditation podcast before you go to bed, Pete. Yeah. It'll help you go to bed. No, it this won't. This is this is the Overthinking It podcast and oh, yeah, uh, this we're one. here. Well, we're this, here. We're partnering with calm.com to chill you the f out. This, <laughs> this podcast will help you go to bed for sure. Yeah, you know? for sure, for sure, for sure, definitely. So let's talk about lore. Let's go into the deep lore. What, man. What, so it's all it's it's Dungeons and Dragons, right? Is the important source material for strangers and uh, stranger things important? <laughs> <laughs> is the is the relevant? Is the salient yes, source yes, material yes, salient. Yeah, yeah, for exactly, the exactly. for um? Yeah, I mean, I at least I remember the fr- the first season was concerned with like the Demogorgon. Yes, that was you know uh, slightly different. Uh, I think in the show than than what it is traditionally in the the D D lore but like they're all they're all totally different yeah it yep. was it was used that's that's the one that that i recall so you're saying that this motif has con- continued yes so without going into what they are specifically in the show other than saying this is the, the one piece of stranger things lore that i think is relevant and interesting and important to the discussion which is that all these monsters are of a piece with each other all these monsters belong to a category, right, that sort of motivates and connects their monsterness. Uh, they are, roughly speaking, the same kind of monster. And there's three of them. There's the Demogorgon, which is I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to say what it is in the show. If you watch the show, you know what it is. And if you don't watch the show, watch the show. It's pretty good. 
And there's the, uh, we don't have to, there's a lot of choices out there. Do what you want. And then there's, uh, there's the mind flayer and there is Vecna and Vecna is in the most recent show. So people who've been watching the show now will recognize the name Vecna and no doubt will might've seen all sorts of different videos and other podcasts being like, well, who's Vecna? What's Vecna? What are we going to do about Vecna and all this other stuff? Uh, yeah. And I think that this is sort of the summer of Vecna in certain ways, um, if, which is funny. The more It's funnier the more you know about Vecna. Uh, that, to call this the summer of Vecna. But, uh, but yes, I want to talk about those three. And in particular, I want to start from the recognition of uh, the, the, at least in the antecedent material, these are all things that are from Dungeons and Dragons that Dungeons and Dragons pulled from this or that source or like made up. Right. Uh, but it was based on something else. They did a lot of that stuff. You know, they would have, I believe that the story goes that they had like a container of, uh, a package of prehistoric beasts, little plastic figurines. I heard this recently that, uh, were the inspiration for a lot of their classic monsters. They're, they're, they're pulled from different places. There's a lot of different stuff that's pulled. Uh, so it is important for stranger things because these are all monsters that the heroes fight. That's really the only other piece of information you need to know. And that's a sort of, uh, that's part of that story. Right. But, in Dungeons and Dragons, these are three completely different kinds of entities. The Demogorgon is a demon. Mm. And in Dungeons and Dragons, the way that demons work, and these are all, his, these his, all have different uh, sort of. The Prince of Demons is one of the most powerful yes, of all the demon lords. Indeed. Well, you knew this already, given that you're a uh, PhD demonologist. Or did you get your mud fud, your dud fud, your, your <laughs> doctor of demons? <laughs> doc, are you a Dr. Phil of demons? I had the, I had the, Pete, I had the uh, monstrous compendium for AD&D second edition ah. uh, back in the, back at, God, not even the 90s, the 80s, I think. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you know this stuff. You totally know this at stuff. At least I, you know, I had some association with it. I never actually yeah. got into playing um, uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons, but I bought... <laughs> but no, you own the Monsters Companion. No, I, I, know, I know what you're saying. I yeah, got a know. lot of the kit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know, like like someone who like buys a lot of fly fishing equipment, but never actually wades out into a river. Uh, right. That that was me and, and, uh, and Dungeons and & Dragons. Yeah. So, of course, since you know Dungeons & Dragons, you know how demons in Dungeons & Dragons work, which is an interesting little bit of lore, at least by default, by tradition, by default, right? Demons are part of a dichotomy in the land of lands of i guess right the punish right the 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 things that we would think of as being the bad places where people go when they die are split up into two halves in dungeons and dragons cosmology and you have demons and you have devils and the demons and the devils are in a war with each other that lasts forever and this is something that emerges from the dungeons and dragons alignment chart (laughs) more than anything else where there are lawful evil things and this is of course not even from first edition you have to get further in until you get to this kind of classic alignment chart but you have lawful things and you have chaotic things and the lawful evil devils are in an eternal war with the lawful with the evil chaotic demons and so the demons are from a place you know they have a, a place that they're from called the abyss and uh, and they just generally want to wreck things and they are in, at war with these other evil things. So that's a whole kind of story. And I think you can come across demons that play this sort of role vis-a-vis devils and different sorts of stories that have now been inspired by Dungeons and Dragons or associated with source material. Uh, but but this idea that the demon and the devil represent different kinds of evil 
And that introducing one of them into a story in a world in which the other one exists uh, is part of an intersectional view. It says something about politics, I think, huh. that, that the world can sort of survive because two evil forces are evenly matched with each other. Sure. Is, uh, is, is, I mean, all I'm saying is that's a whole story. There's a whole bunch of stories you can t- say being told along those lines or just the idea of summoning a demon, right? Summer, summoning uh, a demon in stories is, of course, a bad thing to do almost all the time. Uh, but in certain sorts of stories, it's something that people do, you know, for, for this or that purpose, like charmed or whatever, right? Like, uh, all sorts of, I'm sure Buffy and, and all the, all of the sort of Nuevo, you know, nineties and later, uh, contemporary paranormal stuff involves a lot of these creatures. So Demogorgon is a demon, uh, the mind flayer. Well, you know, if the monster is companion, you know what a mind flayer is. It's an illithid. Uh huh. And it's an yep. illithid, yeah, which is an aberrant human best recognized by its tentacled mouth, which it humanoid, uses. Humanoid, humanoid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. It uses uh, its tentacles to to suck out and consume humanoid brains. I mean, I I could have told you that, Pete, but I looked it up just to to. You could you have, know. and you did. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, you looked it up. You just uh, fessed up to looking it up. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Did you want to to you know keep the the kayfabe going? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> The whole Commit time. to the bit, Matt. Commit to the bit. It's- okay. So so one of the bad guys in Stranger Things is based on a demon. Mm-hmm. Another one of the bad guys in Stranger Things is based on a squid alien. Yes. Is I guess the, the sort of most simple way to put it. But in Dungeons & Dragons cosmology, there's this area of the astral sea, which is sort of like outer space, but almost more like Marvel cosmic style outer space. This notional outer space that's Mm. actually a parallel dimension that extends to all sorts of exotic and strange places. And so because this is such a vast and distant and strange world, and there's also like the underdark and the deep caverns of the earth and the illithids could be found, you know, with their – they had an empire, slavery empire and uh, all this other terrible stuff. It is Juneteenth and I'm glad that – I don't. Well, we could talk more a little bit more about about. Um, we probably won't, but we could go into a lot more detail about like problematic dimensions of a lot of these things, and maybe we'll go into a little bit of detail about it. Um, I don't like to say problematic, but um, offensive. Uh, it's probably a better. Let's let's use the words we mean. Um, oh, Pete, that's basic. a good. That's a good podcast. We should we should oh, cue we, that we up. We should do it. The two of us should totally do it. No, no, not about it. not about not about that. Not about a uh, uh, racist, uh, you know, oh, or no. or anti-Semitic aspects of of you know demons from from <laughs> you know from uh, science fiction in the seventies seventies and eighties. No, yeah. uh, science fiction or fantasy. No, I mean like things about words that uh, we think there are better terms for. Oh, the, Pro- the better word cast. Yeah, yes. the pro- problematic definitely. Yeah. Uh, we can definitely find a lot one. of more specific I, terms. I have, I have a lot. They tend to to cluster around the political, though, and I, you know, I, I don't want people to yell at me, so I do. Uh, um, I, I, I'm a little uh, wary of it. Maybe we'll do it as a members only <laughs> extra, we can, or we or we brainstorm the non political ones because uh, at least, or we only focus on the ones we know we have a lot of expertise on, like getting rid of espresso. (laughs) (laughs) It needs a, we should call it cafe. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, it's, uh, it can be, well, that's, that's save it for that podcast. Save it for that special bonus work. The point is that the Elithids are more of a Cthulhu adjacent, Eldritch, distant, alien, aberrant. The idea that there are unknown, vast, strange, you know, intelligences that are that are manipulating events out in the universe somewhere and that they can infiltrate your brain and kind of control your mind uh, and 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 that they have like sort of secret cults 
that they yeah, cultivate they, among people. They have a different etiology than demons, and they have kind of a different, you know, what was set of concerns, different kind yes. of existential position. Exactly. Yeah. The existential position of a mind flayer is different than the existential position of an archdemon, uh, especially vis-a-vis uh, airplane food. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and, and archdemon, uh, you know, as everyone knows, is a demon who is in the shape of an arch. Yes. In the shape of an arch. That's right. It is a gentlemen. demon who is doing yoga. Uh, <laughs> it's an arch demon. Uh, or one that's pronating too much. Or not enough. Uh, I don't know which. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> if you have a high arch demon and you have a collapsed arch demon. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, and so then, then you have Vecna. Vecna is a lich uh, I said that too loud and blew out my microphone. As, it, or it, as, as I like to say, lich. <laughs> a lich. Like the, the German for lich is lich. Yeah, yeah exactly. Lich. Uh, oh, man. So lich, please. Is a, or lich, lich, please. No, uh, not that. So he is a lich, which is a wizard. Or, or I guess what? Okay. He's a lich and he's a sort of demigod. They're, uh, liches, are, liches are undead, aren't they? They're like, yes. they're sort of zombie-ish, yeah? The classic lich story, as I understand it, the sort of what is it that makes a lich is it's a powerful wizard or other sorts of, of magical practitioner who arranges through an elaborate ritual for his own death or her own death. Although I have, I don't know if I think – no, the campaign I'm currently in has a female lich, so I should – as a lich queen. So I shouldn't say uh, that they're all male, um, although that's homebrew. But uh, arranges for their own death and then re-inhabits – their own undead body with their full intelligence and their full mental capabilities and powers, Mm. thus enabling themselves to have both worlds, the advantages of being undead, including, you know, nigh immortality. And then also the advantages of, of being alive, meaning that you are able to maintain full, you know, articulation and just say brains all the time. Right. Uh, And, and this is a classic kind of Dungeons and Dragons villain. They tend to be very Voldemort adjacent. I know I don't like to say his name on the podcast in case he wants to show up and guest at some point. So I'll call him he who must not be named. Sure. But like, like he who must not be named, uh, they have a physical. Wait, who podcast. do you mean? Beetlejuice? Are you talking Beetle- about Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice? Oh, no, he's here. <laughs> don't do it with candy, man. That's when it gets scary. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, not scary, buddy. Not our spooky podcast about <laughs> lore, deep lore. It's not even that deep. But at any rate, uh, you know, liches by and large in general have what is traditionally, but traditionally back to the 70s, right, uh, known as phylacteries, which are physical objects that contain their souls. And you have to destroy the physical object in order to defeat the lich. And Vecna has a whole bunch of other complicated lore about him. But by and large, he is this arcane practitioner who has cheated death. And through, you know, dark rituals has uh, has sort of perverted nature and has, uh, you know, ascended. Right. In the stories in uh, Dungeons Dragons, he often becomes a god at some point. He's a major villain in the first campaign of Critical Role. Um, He's the first he's a major villain in the Greyhawk campaign. Right. The OG Greyhawk campaign and in a bunch of other Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. Uh, Greyhawk being the first kind of really constructed Dungeons Dragons world way back in the day. But the idea being that uh, it has one other thing that's characteristic of him always, which is that he has an eye and a hand. Uh, like originally, right, it's that 
he was gone. Whoever he was, he was some mythological figure in the past and now he's gone. But his eye and his hand still exist. And if you wanted to take some portion of his power, you could cut out your own eye and stick his eye into your head. Ah. And and you would gain great power, but also, uh, you know, great loss of, you know, personal autonomy or alignment or other sorts of stuff. Like it would not be good for you that you would have Vecna's body attached to yours. You could chop off your hand and you could put Vecna's hand on your own hand, which would give you a great power. But at what cost? Right. And that's and that's the Vecna ideology. Now, you use the word ideology. Can you explain to me what ideology means? Because I feel like it's something that's I use words that are like that a lot, but that's not one I use. Yeah. And I wonder if I should add it to my uh, my uh, repertoire. The the um, I mean it, it means origin right like it means like origin story a little origin bit. Like, okay yeah. okay got it got it got it so yeah because so I'll say like it's it's, it's in I you know like I think in medicine they talk about like the etiology the etiology of symptoms like how something right. came how a bad symptom came about or something like mm-hmm. uh it's you know I I guess yeah but it's yeah it's just about like where where it comes from or why it is that way. Yeah. The ideology of Vecna is interesting then. So uh, the in practical terms, the ideology of Vecna is the relics. It is it is in the we need to create a personage to add a sense of weight and gravitas to these magical cursed objects that you might find in your first edition Dungeons and Dragons game. And then that gets fleshed out as that personage becomes a character in a subsequent campaign and then that character starts to accumulate characteristics and then over time those characteristics kind of take up a line a mind, a life of their own and go on to influence other things um and and they change right uh and i think that that that's true of a lot of these dungeons and dragons monsters they start out with some sort of pull that is their inspiration their you know their ideology then proceeds they create this fully realized uh, monster and it's fully realized in the sense that it's played in games by many people and they all have experiences with it and they kind of lend to the readership circle for it and then it'll show up in some book by somebody who played Dungeons and Dragons and then it'll it'll move on from there. Um, but yeah, but Vecna is a story of kind of forbidden ambition. Mm. Uh, you know, it's uh, the idea that if you reach too far or you go too high, uh, what will happen is you will pervert yourself. That, that in the end, you know? it, do- it doesn't even matter. Yes, you can, you can, I tried so hard, I got so far, I cut out my eye, I cut off my hand, I, I put my soul into a box, and then I off myself, and then I reincorporated myself from the box, and in the end, it doesn't even matter. Right, exactly. uh, Which I shouldn't say in that context, of course, because the, because the sad passing, of wow. course, of our, of our brother from Lincoln Park and whatnot. But um, we were talking about pretend things. Uh, not real things, which is, I think, actually, that's a good segue, right? You know what they say, an eye in the hand is worth... Uh, <laughs> an eye in a hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, yeah an eye in a hand is worth about 30,000 gold pieces. Uh, no, more than that, I'm sure. Priceless artifacts. But, okay, so the... Um, when we're talking about... So, so one interesting angle on this uh, about Vecna, before we go any farther... I will say that Wizards of the Coast has been going through their various properties, not just Dungeons & Dragons, but also Magic Gathering. Those are the two I've seen. I'm assuming they're doing with other properties. And they are retconning uh, or or they they are basically purging information from their databases and their sort of lore documents that uh, conflates or connects or associates directly 
these sort of fantasy elements, especially evil ones, with real races and religions of people. Right. <laughs> and it, it, this is sort of a project uh, that's, that it, when I see it, it looks like it's something that's systematic and coordinated. And I don't think it's bad. I think it's probably good uh, because I think a lot of the time we've talked about these polls, the things that you find inspiration in, they could be anything. And one of the big characteristics of periods of time prior to now is that we weren't all always talking to each other all the time. And the level of exposure that you had to things was a lot less. And I think people were a lot more provincial just in general. And so I don't particularly blame people for like picking a creepy word for amulets to be the, you know, the thing that makes a lich immortal. Oh, by the way, it's also a, a term from Hebrew mysticism. Yes, yes, it's Jewish. Oh, Vecan is now Jewish, right? And it's like, oh no, this horrible evil creature in our mythology based on European fantasy is Jewish. How did that happen? And it's like, well, have you read European fantasy? <laughs> with like European society, like at all? Have you read any of the major ideologies that have emerged of any sort out of the European tradition in their original documentation? Right? Like, like, why was this European thing anti-Semitic? Is like, you know, it's like <laughs> I, I'm just reminded of like explaining to my son at the park the other day what bird poop is by pointing to a bench in which there was bird poop and it's like uh, well the birds poop it happens but um it's just it's something that happens there's a bench it's outside there's bird poop uh you know it's like you know you're in the 14th century you're writing something you know you're gonna blame some people that it's not their fault um but the, the point being that like i don't think it makes vecna worse for him to have a soul cage or whatever rather than which i think is the pathfinder word they've used which is another system has the same source material and lots of the same problems that they're trying to fix uh rather than a phylactery right the word is creepy and strange because it's associated with a culture that is different right and so like and that's why the word both exists and doesn't necessarily mean much to you um and so yeah this so but even stuff like you know, you can search databases for the magic card crusade or the magic card jihad, and they might not come up because mm. they might have been purged from the database because they were connecting the color white with Islam or with Christianity. And that's all super creepy. And, and, and you know what? It was a long time ago in the mid 90s and everybody was stupid. And even then, like, let's just let's just there's no reason not to fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't want to permanently erase information so that people don't know what happened. But like if you're continually doing this game, you might as well. Right. Mm -hmm. You might as well do this. But the point being that like, you know, Vecna, um, the tradition of the Lich uh, really only goes back to Dungeons and Dragons. And then prior to that, you're really going into sword and sorcery stories about corruption and sort of corrupted magic like Robert E. Howard kind of stuff, like Conan the Barbarian type stuff, mm. where like the magic practitioner is like the shadow of the dark shadow of their former self. Mm. And that's a big theme in the stories that are antecedent to the Gygax uh, stories. He bases it on some story from the 60s that nobody's read. Um, but the point being that, you know, okay, we have this story about this, this corrupt and perverse ambition that was looking to be fleshed out and became associated with like new things and different things and pulls from different parts of different cultures. And we're kind of trying to make sense of it. And we're kind of trying to figure out where it fits in in modern, modern society and, and like our own culture. Where, where is the lich in modern mythology? What is, what does it mean? Right. And it's like, well, what it means is that it's a monster that kids fight in a board game. And so, okay, well then it'll be the same as the Demogorgon, which is also a monster that kids fight in a board game. And the same as the mind flayer, which is also a thing that kids fight in a board game. And and I and I wonder 
not necessarily like what is lost as if this is some sort of crime because this is just building on previous stuff. But it is interesting that it feels kind of intuitive to that degree. I mean, I, pretty, we often look at the – sorry, go ahead. And pretty soon they're making a, a, a movie with four women as Ghostbusters and it's ruining your child. No, that's, yeah. that's, see, that's not what I'm saying. I'm also associating with stuff like 28 Days Later where – like we talk about this in the context of zombies a lot where – in Night of the Living Dead, there doesn't need to be a reason why the zombies are coming back. Just the fact that they're zombies and that they exist is scary. Uh, you know, sure. in, in general, you could talk about undead that are results of curses. You could talk about undead that are results of kind of unholy acts and have a religious angle. Much more common these days is the biological angle mm. of the undead. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you could talk about what that means and kind of zombies and stuff. But I don't think we have as often talked about other connotations of the undead in in kind of mythology and story and literature and pulp literature and how those also seem to be losing their currency which i find interesting like what is it more more about not not like what are we doing to ourselves that we no longer are finding inspiration in the writings of robert e howard i think he probably had difficulty finding inspirations in that from time to time <laughs> um, if he had it all figured out he wouldn't have been robert e howard and i don't think he would disagree uh you know and but um but more like, you know, what is happening, right? Not not what is not what crime is being committed, but kind of what what has changed, what is different uh, that that when I that I no longer want to talk. I mean, if you're organizing a Dungeons Dragons campaign, I think this is a common question. What do you even do with the undead? What do you do with necromancy? I think nowadays. Back in the day, you know, the uh, the most common sort of evil wizard that you would encounter would be a necromancer. The Black Cauldron is another example of this. You know, if you're the Pride and Chronicles and whatnot, if I'm saying that right, it's Welsh. I don't speak Welsh, uh, but uh, I mean, it's not really Welsh, but it's fake Welsh. Um, but uh, it's it's wealth mythological inspired. But like, you know, the Black Cauldron and these sort of undead uh, knights that are so terrifying and scary. Well, let me pause and ask, Matt, why do you not like the undead? Well, I, I mean, I, what's, I don't, what's your problem? No, man. What are you, what are you <laughs> saying? You know, look, you're going to get me, you're going to get me canceled, man. Like, I think <laughs> like I, 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 I have, that, a, that in you know, is really funny. I think <laughs> that that's really funny because, because it's so easy to associate the being canceled with like a consist contingency that just does not exist. Right. Like, like those, the, the undead, the undead are going to come for me, which just reflects just how real a threat it really is. I have, I, like, Pete, I have, I have great respect for, my many friends in the undead community, as well as to Cthulhu's Dude, and to... If you respected them as real people, you would worry about, you know, speaking wrongly about them, not about, <laughs> like, they're sending their lawyers after you. Right? Like, it, would, it wouldn't be an would be a concrete thing. It'd be like, oh, I would imagine the face of the person I would be disappointing. Don't... I mean, I do that all the time. <laughs> like, who am I disappointing right now? Yeah. Okay. But anyway, sorry. Um, the, the the gaping maw. I I imagine the gaping, the, the gaping toothless maw of gaping, the person the, the person I'm disappointing. I'm just I'm just saying, you know, the uh, the the wrath of the Lich King is just. It was a really he went through a lot of personal stuff <laughs> to get to that point in you know? World of Warcraft, and uh, and a lot of people who like World of Warcraft, uh, even though he's the villain, would probably be on his side. I guess I don't know. Um, I don't know enough about World of Warcraft lore to know whether the Lich King is a sympathetic or unsympathetic figure, which tells you a lot about where we're at with the undead right now. <laughs> the, the point being that, like, back in the day, if you were to encounter a wizard who is evil, they were probably a necromancer. Mm-hmm. And I feel like nowadays, if you are to encounter a wizard 
who is evil, a default assumption might be that they ought to be an enchanter, uh, which mm-hmm. is a different school of magic, as you know, from buying the Dungeons and Dragons books and ever playing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think what it reflects is that the enchanter takes away your freedom. No, that was Pete. That was from um, that was from uh, buying Mage the Ascension, buying the White yes. Wolf. <laughs> Buying the White yes. Wolf books and never playing oh. Vampire the Masquerade or Mage or uh, or any of the White Wolf games, though though I had their uh, I had their source. You books still as want well. to play one of those one of these days? I I don't know. I mean, what, do, don't we have like uh, don't we have like VR headsets now or something like that? Don't we play different Shh. things now? It's not better. I, I recently <laughs> I told everybody I downgraded from Elden Ring to NetHack because if I was going to just go in there to lose, I could do it on my own terms. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna play my own music. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. But yes, it's uh no, I mean the tabletop games are, are tabletop games are experiencing uh, or have been experiencing since Stranger Things came out a huge renaissance. Or, yeah, I would I mean, more than a renaissance, a, a birth that's been bigger than what they've had in the past. Yeah, that's so. well that's that's wonderful. I mean my you know, my mother was in the kind of the um it's funny she's come up a lot on, on Birthday Cast twenty twenty two. Um mm-hmm. but like it's uh was in kind of like um got the uh dungeons and dragons is satanic uh oh she was satanic panic me- messaging a little okay. bit yeah like uh with that she was you know well she was a uh, mother and worried about her worried about her children yeah. and the the people on the news were saying that that this uh this fun game that you play sitting around you know sitting around with your friends and eating cheetos was like uh was satanic you know right. I, and i don't know how exactly i mean i guess there are demons and devils and they're they're fighting each other but you know that's like you, you really got to understand the uh the whole the whole picture right like yeah. you know. it's funny it's like the people who protested kevin smith's dogma when it was like by far the most positive and kind of forward thinking and popular work of catholic filmmaking of like the last 50 years oh yeah 100 right? percent. Like, maybe not 50 years like and and i mean you could you could plug in a bunch of different movies along those lines but like Dungeons and Dragons is the only game I play where you could play a holy person who proceeds through the power of faith to overcome obstacles in their life and to like help <laughs> down throat and fight the devil. Yeah, like, no, like what in, do <laughs> in in Grand Theft Auto, you basically beat up prostitutes, right? Like, how, how is this not ten times how is that better? Not satanic than Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> right? It's the wizards, are isn't it? It's the it's the it's the dudes wearing funky robes. Well, yeah. like, I don't know about him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah, it just seems a little funny you know yeah. <laughs> that's um yeah no it's it's uh oh god where were we no i pete i think that like i what i lacked i feel like you need and and like an older experienced person to like be your guide you know in mm. getting into into dungeons and dragons right like so, there's so many there's, well, yeah. so, there's yeah. so many things um there's so many things that are like this where, you know, and I, I feel like our discourse today would, would focus on the power imbalance, would focus on like the potential coercive aspects, uh, of that. But like actually having like an experience guide to like, you know, show you the ropes, having a, I, I guess we would call it like a mentor now, but I'm not even thinking like a mentor, just, just, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, like someone who's the key master or the gatekeeper, yeah. you know, like who, who I'm uh, not talking about some sort of problematic, you know, powerful person. I'm talking about a gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> but, the- but I know what you're saying. I mean, nowadays you can get that sort of thing on the internet, uh, and that's a big part of why it's so popular. But I think even in you need to. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is not a game you can just run yourself. 
you got to watch somebody else do it and do it with them. I think right, right. There's yeah, there, there's a yeah. there's a kind of an apprenticeship process yeah. and yes. having a yes. Um, Unfortunately, the word with that goes with apprentice is no better. Yeah, there's yeah, a exactly. Word we need better. We need to, we can have a whole podcast about that word. Get rid of that word. It's unfortunate, but whatever. Um, yeah, you know the word. The word. Yes, uh, no, no, journeyman. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Pete, journey person, journey person, journeyer, journeyer. Don't stop believing, man. Don't stop believing. Uh, but yes, yes, yes. You, this is. I, mean, no, I'm not, I, I'm I not actually, to I actually think. I I think you're saying. I mean, like, I the, my first guess at at what you're saying is that it's kind of technologically determined. That is to say, like, you, when you have a bunch of comic books, you can have you know thousands of Marvel Earths. You know, mm-hmm. you can have a bunch of. But like, once you have a once you have a you know a global electronic communication. Uh, platform right you, you're we're stuck in earth 616 right like interesting we have a marvel cinematic universe now and yeah. it's like in the idea actually i think that like the star wars tv shows have done pretty well with this in terms of like hey there are there are sort of different shows. Some of them are animated. They have different concerns. They have different tones, you know, and just kind of like, uh, you know, different, different vibes. Um, that, that I think has, even though there is kind of like one, one, I guess, master narrative of the, like the Skywalker saga, but like, uh, they seem to be trying to break out of that a little bit and, and doing it with, with some okay results, um, inside, you know, in some of the properties that this is good. But like when, you know, I don't know, when you think of, of classical mythology, you can talk about like Ovid's version of something versus Hesiod's version of something versus, you know, like that, that part of the, the richness and enjoyment of it was that, you know, things were not, things were more than one thing. Things could just kind of be, be more than one thing. And I just, I kind of wonder if, like you know, either a uh, either a, a sort of foolish scientific con- consistency, um, or uh, you know, uh, you know, or just the, the fact that everything is everything is accessible to everyone all of the time now. I mean, everything mm-hmm. everywhere all of the time is is uh, you know, uh, uh, besides being a, a movie that I still want to go see, <laughs> like such a wonderful thought technology that Bo Burnham gave us for for understanding what can go wrong when you have a, a like a, a far reaching, you know, massive global. Uh, communications platform and like why why like that might not be a wonderful thing um mm-hmm. in in all circumstances that like okay so like you can't have well if like dungeons and dragons like the idea that things need to stay on brand you know that mm-hmm. like there is and i i was just noting as i was i was uh doing online research is that like the demogorgon and the mind flayer uh are in the D and D lore wiki, but Vecna is in the Forgotten Realms wiki, right? <laughs> so it's yep, like yep. A, a different campaign setting entirely, you know. And that, like the 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 ability that these things can can produce a richness, or that you can you can have like headcanon versions of stuff, or you can have. Um, uh, you know, different, di- different versions, I guess like Spider-Man has started playing with this a little bit. Um, with all the all these spiders men uh or these spideys as they've been changed to my my, my boy watches the spidey 
and his friends show. Oh, got it. Where they, they, that's actually a pretty elegant solution. I think calling him Spidey. Yeah. And that way anybody can be a Spidey. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be a man. Right. Well, good. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I interrupted you. No, but I, you know, I also, th- I've, yeah, I, I mean, you I, guess it. I mean, do you, no, no, no. If you think that there's something is lost when you don't call him Spider-Man. No, no, I, I, no, I don't. I, I, I actually like my, my, uh, thinking about it is even more radical. I would like to open, um, the possibility of being a Spider-Man to be something that girls can play at as well. As oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. well you know? one of them is a, is a girl. Sure. Yeah, right, right, but, but that's you know. Oh, you mean you want girls to be able to be Spider Man? Yeah, and then, like then, you want to make sure that you want you want them the sort of masculine cultural performance, the sort of mythopoetic masculine performance, to be something that's decoupled from your self-identified sex or gender to the point that can be experienced by choice by anybody. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah. For, for goodness sake, I went to drama school, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Edwin's angry itch is itching my arm off. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I was, I was just thinking, like, you know, some, someone, like the, you know, the smallest guy is going to play that, uh, that French princess in Henry V, right? Like, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. least, the least <laughs> tall person in, in the, in the company. Right. Um, so anyway, the, the, but the, there is like, would you call it a, a, a homogenization or a, a, a realignment, maybe, mm-hmm. of, of. You a know, flattening even. Yeah. Of some of the, oh yeah. A kind of like decrease in the dimensionality of some of these models of evil to fit, um, what to, to fit what is in the discourse drink or to fit what is, uh, what is sort of accessible to a, uh, average expectable current sensibility. I mean, I, I don't know. I gave, I gave one not particularly deep, uh, idea about what's going on. What, what do you feel is some of the, 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 the etiology of this change? Yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, I think you, you're bringing up some interesting stuff there. I, I was thinking about how, uh, well, first of all, when we were talking about this with regards to Star Wars, uh, just actually while we were watching Obi-Wan earlier today, which is another show uh, that is uh, super, super good. Well, not super good, but good and pretty good. And that I've been enjoying, um, which is that my wife said, when is this supposed to happen? And I was like, well, it's it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> she's like, oh, wait. So it's like, yeah, it's it's not like Star Trek. And I mean, she's like, well, I know it's not like Star Trek, except it is kind of like Star Trek. It's like, yes. But yeah, but like George Lucas just hands waves it away. And it's like, this isn't connected to anything. Um, I think that it is interesting that people immediately draw the association so often between things that are threatening in stories and things that are materially threatening in real life. Mm. And that often and i don't necessarily feel like stories function that way as as much as people think that they do and yet at the same time the image of the story not necessarily the experience of the story might function that way uh i mean i'm thinking about what like um if there's a particular country that in a james bond movie is participating in a particular sort of like bad experiment does that mean that that country in real life is also engaging in these bad experiments? And can we not, do we have to pick a country we don't like to be that country in the story? Uh, which I think is an early version of this same phenomenon. Uh, this, this whole, like, uh, you know, this is like the, Oh man, we're running out of North Korea's, <laughs> you know, like, Oh man, who's going to be the villain in the next bond movie. If we like all the countries right. or if the movies get released in all the countries, right. And now it's like, Oh man, we can't pick a country. That's just like, this is the country we don't like. We're going to dump all our villains on it. Um, 
or like, you know, we don't have a clear geopolitical conflict that we're willing to talk about uh, and and such as like the Cold War or whatever. And so we're not, you know, to an extent, all of our work is propaganda related to that conflict at this point because it looms large in everybody's mind and also just because of the interests and all that other stuff. Everybody who's bad is going to be Russian um, or like an American who's, you know, validating the Russian cause by, you know, showing that the Americans are bad, too. Right. That kind of thing. Or like invalidating the entirety of the conflict through reflecting, you know, showing the, the mirror to ourselves and all that stuff. Um, I would say that, like, I mean, it's it's bi- biology. It, I, mean, I, I go back to biopower. I go back to this notion of illness and sickness um and uh and i think i mean so okay so 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 i'm going to try to i'm going to try to tread lightly around some pretty important and difficult stuff at this moment i do think that to an extent people there are certain there are certain venues of real life experience wherein nobody cares about you unless you're sick uh where your problems don't matter to somebody else unless you're ill or dying uh, and in which case it is, you know, there's a there's a burden or requirement that somebody somewhere is supposed to care about you. And I think that this is a tribute to our healthcare professionals and to their commitment to their work. And how often a doctor or a nurse or some other or an EMT will help someone regardless of their situation. But I think it's also a black mark on how we uh, frame some of our laws and rules that we prioritize health and safety above so much else. Mm. Um, and particularly what I'm really thinking about here is I'm thinking particularly about title nine and, and title nine lawsuits related to like hostile work environments and stuff. And the idea that like, in order to, it's not just enough that it has to be fair, right? It's not just enough that you're supposed to have a certain amount of courtesy for your fellow human beings, or that you're supposed to recognize that what you're doing is like driving people away or hurting a whole bunch of people or is wrong. Right. You have to demonstrate that it's harming people that and so many of the symptoms of it get framed in this medical way. And and this is this is biopower. You know, this is the the political phenomenon of like, well, being gay is a sickness and that's what gives us the authority to medicate it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that one of the minor flip sides of this is the biologic biologification of mythology mm-hmm. and of mythological evils. If. If the only if we are locus if we are locating so much of what we accept or reject as sort of hegemonic cultures in health and illness, you know we hate the things that are illnesses and we love the things that are health. And if we hate something, we call it an illness, mm. right? Or if we think that somebody else doesn't care about us and we want to compel them to deal with it, we call it an illness, mm. right? Um, when maybe it is an illness, maybe it's not, maybe it has many different dimensions, right? I think that the human mind and the human body are very complicated and most things will affect it in some way. Um, but like the fact that you have to be able to demonstrate harm to get a remedy, because that might be the only kind of institution that's functioning the way it's the, the the way that's helping people. I think one of the reflections on this is like Vecna isn't a zombie anymore. He's a disease, mm. right? Like the mind flayer isn't an isn't like a eldritch horror anymore. No, no, no. Like he's he's a disease that gets inside of you, right? And again, I don't want to spoil any more Stranger Things. Or like you know, you could talk about the relationship between these stories and like immigration and foreigners and stuff and fear of foreigners. Um, 
which again, I think when people feel very strongly about it, will frame as a disease, right? Um, and I'm sure. not saying that I think of it that way, but the language, this should all feel pretty freaking familiar, right? And I think that, um, and I mean, maybe maybe it's that these different these different mythological ideas of evil emerge at times which had different primary times and places that had different primary concerns. Maybe they were all part of their particular moments. Maybe there was a time when people were really scared of demons. Maybe there was a time when people were really scared of tentacle monsters. I think it's a place called Rhode Island. That's where, <laughs> that's where Lovecraft came from, right? It was Rhode Island. That makes sense. You go there now. I mean, it's like coffee milk and jalapeno on the. It's the jalapeno on the calamari that's doing it. For <laughs> Rhode Island calamari is great, by the way. It is ironic that that. Uh, I, I hope that I'm right that that JP that JP HP Lovecraft has some association with Rhode Island. And if I'm wrong, this is terribly embarrassing. Uh, and I've just conflated it in my mind because then both the best and the worst squid things in America came from the same place. <laughs> but the point being that, like, I think a diversity of symbolic evils reflects a sort of like diversity of remedies. Like you have if if you think that everything is the same kind of wrong, then I think it comes with an implication that it, it, it is attenuated is that a word? I don't even, I don't think that's the right word. Mitigated. Yeah, I, I, or, right. I, yeah, this, this goes, I mean, to me, this goes in my mind to a couple words that are, that are like prominent in the discourse, right? And those two words are, are like harm mm -hmm. and trauma. Right. Um, yes. You know, and, and, like, and we know trauma. You know, it's like TNT. <laughs> we know trauma. We know trauma. <laughs> we don't know everybody's trauma, but we know ours. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right, like, and and I think that like they get they become keywords. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They become like like um, uh, they become a whole like uh, unspoken argument, kind of wrapped up in in a word. And I. I I I am with you in kind of you know being bemused by a lot of this and and sort of wondering um you know with with varying degrees of alarm wondering if if these things are not you know if if to use the 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 disease metaphor if if the cure sometimes is not in fact worse than d the disease or like if the if a certain kind of metaphorical framing uh impoverishes your experience because it 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 disempowers you you know what i mean in in certain in certain ways um like i you know i don't know if you if you if you have a disease i i guess like i guess you can fight it I, people talk about fighting diseases a lot of the time but like you're not you're not really like the yeah, the, yeah. the medicine and the the nutrition and the bed rest and the whatever is doing the you know is doing the fighting but if you have a yeah you know i don't know if you have a squid alien right you can you can fight the squid alien it gives it's very it's very empowering to fight the squid alien you know and that like uh that like um you know but but i actually i i I am pretty sympathetic to people in the situation that you're talking about where like, look, I can't get any, uh, I, I can't get any attention on this big problem, right? Like, uh, I can't like get, uh, remediation of, you know, some, some thing or, so, you know, some redress of, uh, uh, of a wrong that is, you know, hurting people in some way. Uh, so framing it as a disease seems to work, you know? Uh, 
and and like it it seems to solve the practical i mean it seems to to solve the practical problem you know uh in in the near term but yeah i, I mean i wonder what the long term implications uh of that are and your 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 feeling is that like uh our our um a uh, variety of eldritch horror has been impoverished somewhat. Yeah, by the, I, it's, it's, it's not like I don't think it's that. Yeah, I don't think it, exactly the causality runs the other way, right? It's not like reducing everything to a wellness or illness issue uh, gets rid of other sorts of virtues. It's that because you're not experiencing any of the other sorts of virtues, right, uh, or social goods, then you fall back on this because it seems to still work. Right. I mean, one question is, well, what happens when it stops working? But then the other question, which I think we all experienced over the last couple of years uh, in, in certain respects. Right. Uh, but the other one is like, well, what has happened? What what can what can it, we learn about how to live in our own lives and our own little spheres of our lives uh, that, you know, maybe aren't about the sort of large scale problems of the world, but might reflect, you know, some sort of some sort of personal you know, breadth of, of motivation or uh, effect or something like all of us have to figure out how to live. And I think that, that when we're looking at the big picture, it can really feel like it crushes us. But I think if you're talking about, okay, this is my fantasy story where I fight a monster and, and the way that it's going to be applied in my life is how I go out and live every day. You know, what if, you know, what if fairness, right. Matters to you, you know, justice per se, Right. Like, uh, you know, what if, what if it does matter to you that like people have dignified deaths and that we don't see death as this like aberration? And it's, in fact, like something that you want to, like, you know, provide for people for in that moment. And you and that's what that's what the sort of perversion of undeath is. Right. Is that like rejecting it as part of life and that's how you want to live your life. I mean, like, what if it's like, you know, what if what if you uh what if you love octopuses? Wait, no, that's wrong. I don't know. Where, I don't know where I'm going on that one. I was right about Rhode Island, by the way. Born, lived, and died there. Uh, but, we learned. Uh, we 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 said we learned earlier on this podcast in in a very early episode that we're we we thought it was octopodes from yeah. the Greek, but I think actually most people say octopods. Uh, right, there right, you right. Go. What, right. And like what the sharktopodes, right? The yeah, sh like the sharktopodes, yeah. Uh, or yeah. uh, der fish in Venedig, the shark, the shark in Venice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this just to bring everybody back. This is a reminder of the most important thing you ever learned from overthinking it, which is that a sharktopus <laughs> should be an octopus with shark for feet, <laughs> and in fact, a shark with octopus tentacles should be uh, was what it was be like uh, oct was it. Sharktopodes, yeah, no, exactly. Shark, Octoshark, right? Yeah, no, something like that. I, I mixed it up. It's it's named wrong. All I'm saying, Sharknado kind of erased Sharktopus anyway from the public, public consciousness. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it is. And I that's, guess that's terrible, right? Because like uh, that's terrible that we lost. Yeah, Sharktopus was actually a much better villain than Sharknado. <laughs> yeah. You know, Be, for yes. for exactly these reasons, because the you know the Sharktopus had agency, right? It's not just mm. like oh the the Sharknado, this weather phenomenon, right? Is, right. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, right? you reduce like, you reduce everything bad that happens to a weather phenomenon, and suddenly we can't like make sensible climate change legislation anymore. When it, like honestly, like the shark, the sharktopus has a pretty complicated relationship with human morality <laughs> in terms of what people it eats, but also the theatrical way in which the sharktopus eats people also has a sort of satirical and important relationship with human morality, right? Like, and and uh, 
And if it's like, well, we're going to make we're going to make Sharktopus, but we've decided that the whole shark thing is just like a little bit too like it's just it's just not it's just a little bit ungrounded enough. So we're making it more of a virus (laughs) person to person. And really, they get a fever and then they turn into a shark. Uh, Well, no, no, there's no sharks in it, actually. Um, The Sharktopus, it's really more of a. It's really, it's really, it's really more of a cautionary tale. Mm. <laughs> um, Jaws is a cautionary tale about not getting into the water. <laughs> well, I guess the example that strikes this for me, and I don't know, I haven't seen the last couple of Marvel movies. I'm way behind. I didn't see Doctor Strange. I didn't see Eternals or anything. I don't know if Galactus is ever showing up again. I don't know if we know that he is, but I think one of the big travesties is turning Galactus from a giant guy with purple hat. hat into like a swarm of monsters or whatever, like in uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer, right? Mm. Like, well, Galactus has to be this sort of impersonal, you know, vague cosmological threat that has to correspond to sort of like, it's 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 implausible if it's a dude in a giant purple helmet. That doesn't make sense, right? Um, I think of all of the things that I don't, I don't get, people criticizing the Marvel Cinematic Universe these days very much. I feel like they just didn't watch movies prior to 2008 <laughs> to realize like how much better these are than like all the other garbage. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, man, did you watch the old Spawn movie? It ain't good. Uh, it's, it's like, I'm, I mean, most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies are good. One of the things that they, that they get right is that they don't reduce all their villains to forces of nature sure, or to like public health problems or infrastructure problems, uh, which I feel like is a coward's move that happens way too often in these kinds of stories where it's like, well, you know, Ultron, he's, he's really just more of a computer program. And like, you know, it's, it's a talking James Spader robot and, like, <laughs> and he's like giant and shiny and he sings Pinocchio songs. <laughs> it's like, well, what if Ultron was more of a virus? <laughs> right. And it's like, no, um, it's it's even even something like I mean, you know what? Even something like Armageddon, where it's like you got to hack the planet, to stop the comet. Uh, well, now I'm getting a little bit too far off base, but you get what I'm saying, right? Is like what I'm suggesting is that if you feel like. When we encounter the stories of others and we feel the need to reduce them to a to a, a sense of the villains have to be the villains that we are afraid of in our own lives and or like the particular avenues or vectors in which we are primarily concerned as those being the valid ones, the ones that matter. I think we're learning more about ourselves than we are about stories Mm. because we're learning about what we really care about. Sure. And we're learning about what we maybe don't care about. And that might surprise us that we don't care about it because maybe uh, it would be interesting to care about those things. Um, Maybe it would be interesting to care about, you know, a, um, uh, 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 somebody seeking after knowledge who goes too far and kind of perverts it, right? Which I guess is related to Stranger Things in certain ways. And again, I'm not going to spoil anything there, but um, maybe it would be interesting to talk about demons uh, a little bit. Although there are lots of TV shows that talk about demons. I think they, I think it's more like you get into these individual silos. Like people build walls around their fandoms, right? Sure. And and they and what are the particular cosmologies or metaphors extended metaphors that they allow into their into their walled gardens because this flattening effect is so strong 
to make all of the things plausible in terms of each other. Yeah, I mean, maybe when maybe, all this stuff is fiction, maybe it would be maybe it would be interesting to to actually have to. I mean, you called it a coward's way out. Like maybe it would be interesting to actually have to give an a, your account of the good life a little bit. You know, mm. I mean that in the philosophical sense. You know, not like sitting on a on a beach drinking mai tais. Though you know that's my good life in a philosophical sense. Um, like you you have to like you know to to sort of say what's important to you. Like and and convert what's not important to you you know yeah. like like the idea that like oh we we honor all virtues you know is is kind of crap because like there aren't enough hours in a day oh that's uh, true that's true that's true to, yeah there aren't uh, that there aren't enough hours in a day yeah to to honor all virtues you've been you've been trying to be uh loyal and humble and brave and uh uh equa a, a, a equanimous and um aquatic uh and you know uh and uh, uh to know all the sources of of squid related things all in the same day Pete, you can't do it a, a human being doesn't have that kind of time but today is your birthday and it's juneteenth and it's father's day at the same time and all of those things are important and i and, and like equally and primarily so how do we live all these lives at once it's all it's it's everything all of the time it's a little bit of everything all of the time <laughs> You know, uh, Pete, we, we might have to leave the conversation there just to, uh, uh just to, um, uh, yeah, observe our normal hour long, uh, you know, uh, cadence here. But, uh, I, I appreciate the, the birthday gift that you've given me a, uh, a wonderful two hander, uh, that has, uh, you know, really made, it really makes you overthink. Really makes you, really makes you overthink. We, you know, we try to live our creed, man. <laughs> and our creed is that everything right is right and everything wrong is wrong. And we're yep. for the right things and against the wrong thing. It sounds, <laughs> that actually sounds like, I think that like the, the, that's like one dot one in, in Wittgenstein's tractatus, right? Like the world is everything that is the case. <laughs> what does a, a Wittgenstein paranormal romance look like? <laughs> is it a, not a vampire? He's not a werewolf. What is the, <laughs> no, it's just a very long, it's a, you know, it's made of, uh, it's made of just an outline. It's made of like a numbered outline in, in outline form. And oh. It, it logics you to, to the, the villain is a duck that looks like a rabbit or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. We'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast. Thanks for listening until next week. You can uh, visit us on the web at overthinking it.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.